A very good morning to you. It's great to see you. Yeah, that's my, that's my call to attention thing that happens. Uh, my name's Neil. Uh, I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we attempt to lead this merry throng. We're starting a new series this morning, uh, which is called Living Out Loud. And one of the things um, as I was kind of prepping for this, I was thinking about, you know, one of the things that people will sometimes ask, uh, people will ask, they'll, they'll come up to us and they'll, they'll ask, what's the vision? What's the vision for this church? And to be honest, I mean, I'm just not very good really. Uh, I, to be honest, I, I'm never really quite sure. Firstly, why they're really asking that question in the first place, and then secondly, what answer should I, should I give? Should I say something like, well, God has called us to build a regional, biblical, growing church across southwest London, which will, in a creative and contemporary way, worship God and communicate the gospel with compassion, we aim to make, train, and equip disciples to be effective in extending God's kingdom, to develop leaders, to plant new churches, and to contribute to the blessing of the whole body of Christ. Or maybe I should say something along the lines of, well, we believe that God has called us to make, train, and equip disciples who love and serve Jesus, who love and serve one another, and love and serve their neighbours. We believe that God has called us to be the church across southwest London through central celebration and local mission to plant churches across the capital by training and equipping potential church planters and by sending and nurturing those called by God? Or maybe it's very simply something along the lines of worship, fellowship, ministry, training, and sending. Over the past, past 35 years of this church, the Southwest London Vineyard, these and probably a few others have all been attempts to kind of capture the vision of Southwest London Vineyard into some kind of statement. <laughs> I was going to say pithy, but that can't possibly be true. Uh, so that people kind of knew what we were about, uh, and some of those, some of which were definitely more memorable um, and, and easier to remember than others. Uh, over the very many years. I've been in pastoral ministry, I've been in pastoral ministry 31 years here in this church. But over the very many years I've been in pastoral ministry, to be honest, and this just may just be me, but to be honest, I'm not entirely convinced how helpful those things have been. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but that's just my take on it. Rather than reinventing the wheel, I think perhaps all we really need to do is to find out who we are and what we're supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus, is to go back to the scriptures and look at the words of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. This is Matthew chapter 28, starting in a, in a verse that's far too small for me to actually be able to read. I think it's like 16 or something. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. 
I'm going to stick a finger in there and just flip back a couple of chapters to Matthew um, 22. This is uh, 34, I think. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so possibly it's just as simple as that. Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And while we're doing it, while we're going about it, let's love God with all our heart and with all our soul and our mind, and let's love our neighbors as ourselves. But I suppose if that's the case, one of the questions we might reasonably ask is, okay, well, how? How do we do it? How are we to go and make disciples? How do we teach one another to obey everything that Jesus commanded? How do we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? How do we love our neighbors as ourselves? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing a series, hopefully, looking at just that. How are we to do the things that God has called us to do? How do we live and share God's love in everyday ways to those around us? How do we, or what's a better expression, live out loud? And so in the run-up to Easter, we're going to be looking at the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, from Jesus' encounters with the disciples who gave up everything to follow him, all the way through to those people that he encountered in the Gospels who had no idea who he was. And really what we're going to be doing is seeing if there's any way in which we can learn from the life of Jesus and the way that he interacted with those around him so that we can maybe assimilate some of that into the way that the things that God has called us to do, to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that he commanded. And as I said, while we're at it, loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And this morning, as a bit of an introduction, and kind of like bird's eye view, if you like, uh, some of you will have heard this before. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, others may not have, uh, may not have uh, but hopefully it will help us think about the many and diverse ways that each of us can live and share God's love in everyday ways to those around us. And do it in ways that kind of sit comfortably with us. And by way of context as to what I mean, let's just take a very quick look at a very familiar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is, is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now hopefully that will kind of make sense as we kind of move into what we're talking about. Those of you who are new here or visiting, you know, this, this passage here in 1 Corinthians 12 is really, really foundational in terms of how we think about being part of a church. You know, we're not trying to recruit people to join this church, far from it. We believe that God sets the lonely in families. And we believe that if you're supposed to be part of this church, you're part of this body, you have something to contribute to this part of the body of Christ. And so just get stuck in and get involved. If you're not supposed to be part of this body, go and join in with the part of the body of Christ that you're supposed to be part of and get stuck in there. So our job is not to recruit people, it's to help all of us connect with the part of the body of Christ that God has called us to and the family that he has set us into. A number of years ago, I was out visiting the vineyard, the Columbus Vineyard in, um, in Ohio in the, in the United States. Uh, it's a large vineyard church there, and Rich Nathan was the senior pastor at the time. And, and he and the team had been wrestling with what exactly it was that the Lord had called them to as a vineyard church. They were kind of wrestling and struggling with that. And it was around the time uh, that Jim Wallace of Sojourner's fame was calling the church, especially in the US, to really engage with the social justice agenda. And some of the churches were more than happy to do so, while others were, let's just say, um, a little more cautious, a little more reticent. And anyway, I, I was sat chatting to a chap called Eric Pickerel, and at the time he was, I think, leading the vineyard in Amsterdam, and he now has taken over from Rich and Marlene, he and his wife Julia, and they actually now lead the vineyard in Columbus. Fantastic couple. Anyway, we were chatting, and he pulled out this napkin, and he drew this grid that I want us to take a look at this morning. And essentially what he was describing was what one might call the four corners of Christianity. But for the sake of this series, I'm renaming the four corners of living out loud. And without wishing to be too sweeping in what are definitely generalizations and assumptions, I recognize that, uh, certainly without wishing to cause any offense, or at least not too much offense, essentially the, the main corners of Christianity, the, the focus of our attention, if you like, the sense of our direction, the ways in which perhaps we most readily live out loud can potentially be boiled down to these four. And potentially and possibly each one of us will tend to find one of these quadrants, one of these corners, more, a more comfortable place to settle perhaps than the other three. 
So we've got the four corners of living out loud. And so in the blue corner, we've got the scriptures. This is where, this is where those of us who really love the Bible, the scriptures, will find ourselves. We believe that all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For us, everything needs to go by the Bible, by the good book. If it's not in the Bible, it ain't happening. We love Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you are at home and sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You'll hear us say things like, well, show me where that is in the Bible. And we usually say that because we know that it's not actually in the Bible. We'll say things like, how can anyone possibly hear from God without first deeply knowing the precious word that he has left for us. It's the maker's manual. What else could anyone possibly need? You know, how can you make anything without first reading the instructions? For us, the scriptures are our yardstick. They're our plumb line. They're our gold standard. So we tend to be people who like, I mean, again, generalizations, but we tend to be people who like Hebrew and Greek and Matthew Henry and quiet times and... Up until quite recently, we were probably quite partial to a head covering or two. You know, we loved sword drill, you know, that thing where it's like, find that verse, and we always found it first. Anyway, that's the blue corner. Meanwhile, in the red corner, uh, we've got salvation, the good news. Um, this is where those of us who really love the gospel will find ourselves. We believe that at the end of the day, it's all about getting people to make a decision to follow Jesus. I mean, isn't that why he came? We tend to be people who know the date and the time that we gave our lives to Jesus. It's probably written in the front of our Bibles somewhere. And for us, it all falls and rises and falls on that moment, that moment where a person's eternal destiny is secured. We like altar calls. We like Crusades. We like to hear people say yes. You know, we like to see a hand in the air. You know, I, I see that hand, brother. Uh, we like verses like John 3.16. Uh, we're the people who just want to get out into the world and preach the gospel to all nations, and we're going to start from our hometown, and we are going to go to the very ends of the earth. We're all about repent and be baptized. Let's bring as many people as we possibly can into the kingdom of God. How many people can we give an opportunity to say yes to Jesus? And so we're the kind of people, we love Billy Graham, God rest his soul. We love missionaries. We love tent crusades. We love boot beach missions and stuff like that. In the yellow corner, uh, we've got signs and wonders. Now, we're the sort of self-professed uh, Holy Spirit junkies. Um, the Holy Spirit wants to fill us and show us his love. God wants us to experience him. And so we do all the time. We speak in tongues all over the place. We feel the presence of God. You know, we love a bit of wind and fire. It's often pretty awesome. We're the ones who will seriously get into worship. We'll often bring our own shofar. 
Uh, we're the ones who will pray for anything that moves, and if we can do it in a fire tunnel, so much the better. We're the ones who will be blowing over you uh, as we pray. Have you ever been prayed for and someone's <laughs> blowing over you? In a slightly disconcerting way. We tend to have frequent and involuntary body spasms. Um, we like to say more. More is sort of progressed to boom, is sort of progressed to come on, I think. Um, we're the kind of guys who like verses like 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. Stop talking, Neil, but it's a power. Uh, John 14.12, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. As far as we're concerned, we're just doing what Jesus did, and we are just getting warmed up. You'll either find us at the airport, flying all over the world, chasing the next outpouring of the Spirit of God, or at the morgue, finding some unsuspecting corpse that we can raise back to life. We are basically your bog-standard charismatics and Pentecostals. We, we love visions, we love seeing angels, we love treasure hunting. And then in the green corner, we have social justice. Uh, we're usually the ones who go around telling the other three that while you're doing whatever it is you're, you're doing, children are dying and young girls are being sold into slavery. We're the ones who will say things like, Jesus said that we're the light of the world, so let's shine brighter. Let's look after the widows and orphans. Isn't that true religion? We believe that we actually have the authority and the power to end human trafficking and slavery. If only we could all get into this together, we can actually bring peace to the world. We just need to raise funds and raise awareness. We need to lobby our MPs, stage a sit-in, and go on a march. We love Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? We like most of what Amos has to say. We love campaigns and petitions and bake sales and protest. Stereotypical? Maybe. Generalized? Of course. True? For the most part. Have you noticed as well that the people in these four corners often fight with one another? Um, so the Bible people tell the salvation people, you know, it can't just be about a single conversion moment. It's got to be about reading the Bible and getting to know what God is saying in the past and today. Character has to follow conversion. Meanwhile, the signs and wonders people say to the scripture people, you lot, you only know God in your head. You've never actually experienced him in your heart. You're really just religious Pharisees. And then the social justice guys will tell the salvation people, yes, it's all great that all these people are coming to faith, but what good does it do if they're still starving? And the salvation people will fight back with, well, yeah, you might be helping people and feeding them, but they're still going to hell. And so on and on it goes. And depending on our experience, depending on our background, depending on who taught us and when, when we're only told one perspective, it all kind of seems very biblical and it feels very right. Let's just take a, a moment of just a pause. Which, which corner, you don't have to answer, I'm not going to ask for votes, which corner feels most like home to you? Which one do you most naturally 
lean into. Now, rather than just thinking of this as individuals, what if we were to think about churches? What if we took a look at the vineyard? Where might the vineyard feel more at home? Uh, and I'm talking about the kind of global or the national vineyard, not so much to the southwest, but we could certainly ask that question. And again, I guess the answer to that might depend on when you stumbled into the vineyard, you found yourself in the vineyard. And it's interesting, if you sort of plot the history of the vineyard, which is this family of churches that you're kind of in, if you um, found yourself here this morning, we've sort of touched on all of these, really, over the, the years. You know, I think back to the start of the vineyard some 45 years ago, um, think about scripture. Those who went before us, you know, our kind of spiritual mothers and fathers, you know, John and Carol Wimber, Bob and Penny Fulton, those, that crowd and others. The guys who started the vineyard seriously knew their Bibles. You know, in the UK, that would be true. John and Alan Mumford, they seriously came out of the Anglican Church. They seriously knew their scriptures. Uh, people like Chris and Fliss Lane and, and others. These people, uh, uh, Rick and Lulu Williams, they seriously, seriously knew their Bibles. Uh, they taught the scriptures. They lived and breathed the scriptures. But... When the Spirit of God landed on them, which kind of catalyzed this whole thing, this creative thing, they realized that they'd missed a whole bunch out. They'd taken, by their own admission, a proverbial scalpel to all the passages of Scripture that they didn't feel particularly comfortable with uh, and just kind of cut them out and ignored them. What about salvation? Well, John Wimber, again, who started this whole family of churches, was a passionate evangelist. He led thousands, literally thousands of people to Jesus. You see, the vineyard came out of the Jesus movement and the Calvary Chapel uh, movement in the 1970s. Uh, both were massively gospel-centered salvation expressions of the body of Christ. And so the early days of the vineyard were about seeing People come to their faith in their droves. At one of Wimber's last conferences, it was a national, Vineyard Churches in the UK National Leaders Conference down in Bournemouth, I think it was in April, I think it was the year he died, it was April 97. Um, he talked about his sadness and his regret that the Vineyard had lost much of that heart of seeing people coming to faith. And he hoped and prayed that that would be changed. And then, of course, you've got signs and wonders, uh, doing the stuff, you know, that's a Wimber expression, and healing, power evangelism. You know, this was the stock in trade of the vineyard. <laughs> we all got trained in the five, trained and equipped in the five-step healing model. Uh, then in the early 90s, along came the prophets, and Paul Kane and Bob Jones would read out your phone number or your sin, you know, which got a little bit awkward in the middle of like conferences at the Docklands. There were Dockland Arena conferences in the early 90s. The Kansas City prophets came over and told us all our sin and read all our telephone numbers. And it was, it was like Paul McKenna, really. It was awesome. Um, was it Paul McKenna? No, Darren Brown. One of those two. And then in the mid-90s, I mean, just kind of, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, the mid-90s, the Toronto Blessing came along. Um, and that's when it all started to get really interesting. This very hall, I mean, there are X marks the spot. You know, there, there, was, there was a lot of roaring and shaking and rattling and rolling in this hall. I, you, I can point to various bits of this hall where I've kind of roared and rattled. And There was also the occasional barking. 
Um, you really had to be here. Uh, there was even an article in the Times. R Ruth Gledhill, the religious editor for the Times, came along one Sunday morning here. And all heaven was breaking loose. And then she wrote an, an article about it. It uh, wasn't the best write-up, I seem to recall. But we were seeing deliverances and healings and all kinds of incredible things happening, just as regular parts of Sunday services and small groups. You know, there were signs and wonders wherever you looked. And then shortly after that, we started to see the beginnings of the vineyard engaging in a much more serious way with issues of social justice. And now, don't get me wrong, the vineyard was always called to care for the poor. Uh, compassion was always a foundational hallmark of, of the vineyard from the very beginning. But I'm talking about justice um, rather than compassion. Okay, so back to our grid. If arguably there are these four corners, then what's in the middle? Uh, more importantly, who is in the middle? And the answer isn't squirrel. Jesus, of course. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all four. Have a look at Luke chapter 4. This is the Jesus manifesto. He went to Nazareth, Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus went to church regularly. Uh, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Scripture. Jesus is the word. The spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Salvation. Jesus is the good news. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. That sounds like signs and wonders to me. And if that doesn't convince you, just read the Gospels and see what Jesus got up to. Read the Acts and see what the Apostles got up to. To set the oppressed free. That sounds like justice, social justice. Freedom for the prisoners, freedom for the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, favor, or good news for the whole of society, including the very earth itself. Maybe Jesus was even a little bit kind of green. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are all being called to all four, all the time. Scripture, salvation, signs and wonders, and social justice. And as we begin this series um, on living out loud and how we are to do the things that Jesus has called us to do, how are we to live and share God's love in everyday ways to those around us? How each one of us is to live out loud so that we might fulfill the mandate of the Great Commission in the spirit of the greatest commandment. The Lord, I think, is calling us to press into whichever um, of these four we most naturally gravitate to, according to our God-given makeup and gifting. You're going to feel more comfortable in one of these quadrants than the others. And don't, I don't think you need to apologize for that. I don't think you need to kind of go, well, that's really bad. I think you need to embrace that as God's gifting to you. That's the way he shaped you. It's back to 1 Corinthians 12. But... You know, as well as being perhaps uh, called into that, at the same time, we also need to be called out of our comfort zones as well and out of the places where we feel more at ease to grow in all four. Because as a church, we're called to make disciples who function fully in all four spaces. Scripture, salvation, signs and wonders, and social justice, all held together by Christ 
who is our head. That's, I believe, our brief. That, I believe, is our mandate. That, I think, is our vision. So what does that mean for each of us? Well, firstly, before the Lord, we do need to take a look at ourselves and recognize where we most naturally sit based on who God has called us to be. Maybe you're naturally predisposed towards the scriptures. Maybe it's signs and wonders or social justice or salvation. Whatever that is, that's fantastic. That's great. Back to 1 Corinthians 12. We need you and we need to learn from you. We need you to bring everything that you bring. Don't lose your flavor in that quadrant. Grow into it, maximize on it, push into it, develop it. But alongside that, let's all be asking the Spirit of God, where do I need to grow? Maybe it's in rediscovering the scriptures. Maybe it's in sharing the good news of salvation. Maybe it's in, in, in stepping out in signs and wonders again. Maybe it's in getting involved in the issues of social justice. Whatever it is, whatever area or areas that we've taken our foot off the pedal, that's okay. We just need to ask the Spirit of God to fill us again and equip us again and send us out so that we can live and share God's love in everyday ways to those around us. 